Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. I'm Katrina Blowers. It is September the 3rd. It is also Friday and it's also our 200th episode for the year. So if you've listened to all 200 of them, I know I definitely have. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us though, because it's a big milestone for us. So 200 episodes, well done to the whole team. On today's briefing, a really inspiring story about overcoming an enormous challenge. And it's also a bit of a primer for life for everything that we're going through right now. Once I heard that word chemotherapy, I knew that that was not good. And uh, it was just such a huge shock. And the only thing I could remember to ask, I just said, am I going to lose my hair? So Antoinette Latouf joins me for that interview with Bryony Benjamin, who's the author of Life is Tough, But So Are You. Antoinette, that's in the second part of today's episode. What an incredible chat that was, right? Oh, it was It was confronting but uplifting and just the sort of message of hope and resilience we need to hear at this time. Definitely. Now, we are about to dive into the headlines, but before we do, don't forget to follow us on Instagram if you're not already because today is Friday of course and that's the day that we do the quiz which is super fun it's in our stories and all the questions relate to the headlines you've been listening to all week so check out the quiz today the briefing on instagram all right should we do it antoinette should we do the headlines let's get into it Letters from the PM are coming in the mail to hundreds of thousands of Aussies over the age of 60 urging them to get AstraZeneca and not to wait to get Moderna or Pfizer. Now, this is the first time snail mail has been used to drive this really important message. A very special delivery in letterboxes all over the country. Now, these letters, co-signed by Health Minister Greg Hunt and Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly, will go out next week. And those aged between 60 and 69 who haven't recorded a first vaccine dose will be urged to roll up their sleeves. So just over 80% of those in that age group have had their first jab, which is pretty pretty good numbers. But that letter will target around the 18 to 15% of those people who are still to get a shot. And the majority of letters will go out in New South Wales and Victoria, well, where we know everybody's home because of lockdown, and also Queensland. The Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, says Australia reached a significant vaccine milestone yesterday. Australians have stepped forward for 20 million doses, 20 million vaccinations, 20 million additional points of hope and light for Australia. Two more deaths have been linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine. Both people died from that very rare blood clotting condition And some GPs are frustrated that over 60s are insisting on waiting for Pfizer. And Katrina, I do absolutely understand it, but I know firsthand the danger in waiting. My parents, they're currently battling COVID-19. They're very sick. They were less than a week out from getting their Pfizer shot, their long-awaited Pfizer shot. And I know if they could turn back the clocks, they would definitely get AstraZeneca. They're just struggling so much and it's heartbreaking that we can only watch on and we can't even go and see them and give them a hug. And I definitely, you know, urge people to to go and get that shot and not wait. It's, it's, um, it's dangerous to wait. A new study has found COVID-19 cases in young children have increased five times faster than people aged over 60. This has just been in the past two months. 
Yeah, so this is interesting. The public policy group Provocate found coronavirus infections in children aged under nine jumped from 1,700 to 3,933 cases. So these are Aussie figures and this increase compared to a 23% rise in those aged 60 plus. At the moment, there are no COVID vaccines approved for children under the age of 12. The WHO advisory professor, Marie-Louise McClaws, told the project that children need to be the new focus of the COVID war. To say it's not as transmissible from child to child or child to adult is not yet well understood. So we have to assume with Delta that kids can become not just a case, but can become a source of infection. Now, this study comes as Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk said she wouldn't speculate on what the future will look like with 80% vaccination until she sees the national plan to protect children. Yeah, and she had a bit of a swing at New South Wales as well, Mm. saying that she doesn't want uh, Queensland to end up like that state in particular. The Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly said yesterday most of the COVID hospitalisations of children were as a result of social reasons. That's um, their parents are ill and there's just no one there to look after them. And I don't know how you feel about this, Katrina. We both have school-aged children and in theory when people say, let's protect our children... You want to agree, but as Paul Kelly says, hospitalisations are largely for social reasons and not because children are very sick. Yeah, although I've got a daughter who's 13, I have signed her up to get a shot. I'm keen for her to get done because she catches public transport. Mm. So, yeah, I'm keen for her to get her injection ASAP. Well, New York is mopping up after the remnants of Hurricane Ida triggered flash flooding, killing at least eight people. In what's been called an historic weather event, water poured into subways and turned city streets into rivers. Flooding closed major roads across multiple boroughs, including Manhattan, the Bronx and Queens. New Jersey was also impacted. Now, President Joe Biden blamed climate change and said overnight he'll ask Congress to pass new legislation to reduce emissions. This isn't about politics. Hurricane Ida didn't care if you were a Democrat or a Republican, rural or urban. This destruction is everywhere. And it's a matter of life and death, and we're all in this together. This is one of the great challenges of our time. But I'm confident we'll meet it. We're the United States of America. Yeah, so Antoinette, seeing those um, pictures of, you know, the the water in particular pouring into those subways, it was like watching a movie. It's not the kind of thing you really expect to see in downtown New York. There has been celebrating, but also some comments like about time after Scott Morrison's announcement Australia's Paralympic medalists will receive equivalent bonus payments for medal wins to their Olympic counterparts. Here's Australian Federation of Disability Organisations CEO, Ross Joyce. It's fantastic news and I know that um, Paralympians have for quite a while been wanting to get the uh, payment. Uh, Before this, they were getting no payment for any medals that they achieved, which does seem a little bit odd. Super odd, uh, to say the least. And Australia has had a record-smashing day at the Games. Swimmer Ellie Cole sealed history as Australia's most successful female Paralympian with a record 17th medal. And Vanessa Lowe broke her own world record three times en route to a gold medal in the T63 long jump. The iconic pop legends ABBA have dropped a delightful bombshell. 
by announcing their first studio album for 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. ABBA Voyage, which is 10 tracks long, will be released in November, just in time for party season mm. in the summer, well, here in Australia anyway. Uh, two of the songs premiered at a globally streamed press conference this morning. And the tracks are very aptly named, Don't Shut Me Down and I Still Have Faith. Now, this album is set to be released before a revolutionary set of concerts where virtual avatars will play some of ABBA's most beloved hits like Mamma Mia and Waterloo. Sounds a bit weird, but you never know, it could work. And the Swedish quartet, who officially split up in 1982, said they ended up back in the recording studio while working on the stage show. And apparently at first it was just the two songs and then they said, heck, let's just drop an album. I love it. (laughs) All right, coming up, Antoinette and I have a chat with Bryony Benjamin, who overcame a really difficult cancer battle, but she has a message of hope, which we all need right now. I think we've all been through tough times in our life where we don't feel so great with our health. And depending on who you are and how you approach these things, you either brush it off and ignore it, or maybe you Google the heck out of it and jump to the absolute worst possible conclusion before maybe you go and see your real doctor who puts you at ease. So imagine being told those niggling health fears were in fact cancer. And that's exactly what happened to Bryony Benjamin. And she was just 31 at the time. I do feel scared. So what do you do when you get the worst news of your life? You lose your breath. You can't believe this is happening. You know instantly who the most important people in your world are. You write down their names and you call them one by one. So that's Bryony's voice there. She had a huge successful job as the executive producer of video at Mamma Mia. She thought she had her whole life ahead of her, but then after feeling crappy for about a year and thinking that maybe she was just stressed and should rest a bit more, maybe even learn to meditate, it actually turned out she had stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of 31. So, unsure of what was to come, Bryony turned the camera on herself and she started documenting her journey in a short video. It's called You Only Get One Life. We just heard a clip of it then. It went viral. It was so powerful. It was watched by millions. So now she's written a book about how to get through hard things. It is super relevant for everyone during this pandemic. I think that's why it's uh, already in its second print run, even though it's only been out just a couple of weeks. It is called Life is Tough, But So Are You. And Bryony joins us on The Briefing now. Bryony Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. I guess take us back to that moment in time when you were given that news that you least expected. What was going through your head? Yeah, well, you know, it was a very ordinary Thursday morning. I'd gone in to get some test results before I raced off to work to do my million things I had to do that day. And the doctor sat me down and just said, I'm so sorry. It is Hodgkin's lymphoma, like your parents were worried about. And that means we're going to have to clear your next three to six months and start you on a course of chemotherapy. And once I heard that word chemotherapy, I knew that that was not good. And uh, it was just such a huge shock. And the only thing I could remember to ask, I just said, am I going to lose my hair? (laughs) 
And she said, yeah, you are. I'm sorry, but it will grow back. And that's when I realised that this was going to be a bit of a bigger thing than I had thought. Mm. And, and you talk about that shock, but we know that one in three Aussie men and about one in four women will be diagnosed with cancer before the age of 75. So it's frighteningly common and yet it's easy Mm. to think it will never happen to you, right? It is. And actually, you know, it's Blood Cancer Awareness Month and the thing I was quite shocked to read is that blood cancer is the second most common cancer and yet we just don't really know much about it. The public awareness is not high. I think in a nutshell, if you're having night sweats or, you know, any kind of unusual symptom, I say to everyone now, you are the world's leading expert on your own body. And so if something feels off, even if people are telling you it's fine, you actually are the one that knows how you feel. So you've got to keep digging for answers. So I guess every single one of us on the planet is right now going through something I guess none of us ever thought would happen to us. Mm. We would love to know what has helped you with that initial process of, of coming to terms with that news of being in a situation you never thought you'd find yourself in. Was it a roller coaster ride or did you have some good people around you at the beginning who gave you some good tools? Yeah, look, I think even in that first appointment, my doctor said to me, I don't want you to Google anything. I don't want you to get too far ahead. I just want you to think about the next three steps. And that was incredibly helpful information. It's something that I do all the time now, you know, even if it's lockdown, if it's overwhelmed, whatever's going on, just breaking it down and coming back to what are the next few things I have to do. That was really powerful. And also just this concept that was shared with me in that first week that not all things have to be understood, Mm. just accepted. And I think that's a really relevant one for COVID as well, isn't it? We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know when lockdowns are going to be eased. And if we keep future dating, oh, I'll be happy when or life will begin when, you know, Mm. we've just got to actually accept it and live now. Hard as that is, I'm not saying it's easy, but that acceptance piece was a really key thing for me early on. And you're a very talented video producer and one of the things you did was document some of the really raw moments in your journey and then have gone on to make a whole bunch of other really inspiring videos. But you also use dark humour. Like how important is it to have a laugh when you really just want to cry? For me, it was just critical. And I write in the book that you've really got to force the laughter when you're going through a tough time, you know. When I ask the average person at the moment, what are you consuming? Not many of them reply with comedy and light things. And and I find that's actually really important when you're going through a challenging period. Be careful what you consume, but also seeking out shows that make you laugh or people that make you laugh. For me, it was a hugely healing part. And we know, you know, the science shows us that laughter is a really potent, helpful um, thing for us. You talk about the road to recovery being one that that can't and shouldn't be rushed. Do you think that often, you know, particularly I'm thinking of our Victorian friends here who are stuck in the middle of lockdown right now, do you think often we just want the bad stuff to be over? (laughs) You know, I think even the language around healing is so rushed, isn't it? It's like, get well soon, wishing you a speedy recovery. (laughs) Mm. hope you're on your feet in no time at all, which are all nice and valid things to say to someone. I'm not saying don't say them, but I think it does set up this very rushed notion around resting. I have found the more I have pushed and the harder I've pushed, the slower my recovery has been. 
I'm living with chronic fatigue now, as a lot of cancer mm-hmm. patients do after the fact. And a really interesting thing I learned through that journey has been that I didn't actually know what resting was. And they said to me, you know, sitting and listening to a podcast or reading a book or watching television, none of those things are resting. Mm-hmm. They all require quite a high cognitive function. Really, the only thing that counts as resting is getting a cup of tea and going sitting out and staring at the sky, you know, or it might be watching the trees sway or watching the birds, but just being. For some people, meditation is that, and that's great. But for some people, meditation is just adding one more thing on your to-do list, isn't it? So if you're feeling, oh, I'm stressed because I haven't done my meditation, I've got to do it, then that's just once again another thing to do. Well, that's what I do. I'm doing everything wrong. I add it to my to-do list. And I approach it like a chore. That's why I don't enjoy I don't enjoy yoga and meditation. I'm like, oh, I've got to get relaxed now. Got to um, tick it off the list. <laughs> um, we did mention your videos a moment ago. We're just going to play a little clip. You don't quite know what's next or how you feel about it all, but you feel grateful that you got a wake-up call, that you get one life. It's short and fleeting and wonderful. So what would you do if you got the worst news of your life today? Don't wait. Go do it now. Because you only get one life. Oh, that gives me goosebumps and it makes me want to give you a very COVID-safe hug. No, thank you. (laughs) My best friend was diagnosed with breast cancer um, in her early 30s and I remember a conversation we had and we were both crying and she wanted to find answers or clues. Like, why me? Did I do anything to cause it? That was her first Mm. instinct about, okay, what do I do now? And, you know, you talk in that clip about you've got this one life and, you know, go and live it. But do you find it helpful? The reality is with a lot of cancers, you know, blood cancers particularly, we don't know what causes them. You can waste a lot of energy, I think, you know, trying to find those answers. So I know for me it was less about wanting to have answers and more about going, okay, I'm accepting this is happening what are the next steps and let's go and focus on that. You know, I never felt anger towards my doctor who had missed the warning signs for about a year. To me, that was a wasted energy and I didn't really want to go there. For some people that might be important, but for me, I just wanted to focus on getting through it and getting out it. What were some of the things that you took away from this whole experience? And I guess even now you say you have chronic fatigue Like that must be a real bummer on some days. How do you not let that consume your life and kind of let it get you down? It was a journey to accept it, to be honest. Uh, It took me a while. It was, you know, once again, that acceptance piece. Some of the biggest takeaways for me have just been that you just need excellent people in your life and put your energy into them and put your energy into the things that you really care about. I felt very fortunate that when I got sick. All of my friends rallied and they were really fantastic. But there were some friends that step up and become really super friends. The biggest change was my relationship didn't survive it. And I've since met someone really wonderful who's just a a completely different sort of energy that I would have potentially gone for before. And I'm so grateful for that because it's shown me what the qualities really are in someone that I want to be with. That's an example where it does, it shifts things massively because it's the ultimate sort of pressure cooker test, isn't it? Who is this book for? I mean, no one wants it. And obviously you have a a cancer journey to share, but who else do you think could benefit from this book? It's not just about overcoming medical illness. 
No, it's not. You know, I really wrote this book for anyone that's going through any kind of tough time, be it being shut down in lockdown with the uncertainty of it. It might be depression. It might be a miscarriage. It might be the grief of loss of someone you love. It's really for anyone navigating those things, but it's also a book for people that might be supporting others through it. Mm. And then just more generally, you know, you don't want to have to wait for that wake up call for that big crisis to implement some of these things. So I think it's really a book for anyone that wants to live well and have some insight into what life's like when it's potentially taken away from you. And hey, Bryony, I think we need to let everyone know where you're at now with your health. Yeah, so look, I'm in three years in remission. I'm doing really well. I'm living with chronic fatigue. So that's, you know, an ongoing challenge, but it's about moving at a slower pace and being okay with that. And I am okay with that now because actually... It's a much nicer way to live, really. (laughs) Antoinette, what about that? Bryony is so optimistic and I think the reason her book is doing so well and that video that she made has gone viral, you know, with millions of views is Mm. that message of hope is something we all need right now. Absolutely. And I think it's not only about going through something as challenging as cancer, people are struggling and it doesn't matter what shape or form your struggle is. It's a legitimate Mm. struggle and it's okay to feel fallible. It's okay to not know. And I think that's what that book will help inspire so many people, irrespective of the scope of their challenge, because everyone's struggling in one way or another and it's all completely legitimate. Okay, that's it for the weekday briefing. Jamila will be in your feed tomorrow morning with the weekend briefing. Hey team, this weekend I am actually chatting with Carrie Bickmore, Carrie Bickmore of The Project fame, but we're talking about something a little different for her. Carrie has filmed a very special television program that commemorates the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. She speaks to a bunch of families of people who lost their lives in those attacks. They're the same families Carrie actually spoke to for the 10th anniversary. Together, we have a really interesting conversation about the news stories that matter and Carrie's emotional connection with the people she interviews. Wow, that sounds like an incredible episode. Thanks so much for joining us on the Monday to Friday briefing, particularly for our 200th episode. Mm. We should give a special shout out to all the people behind the scenes who you don't hear who make this amazing show possible. Our incredible EP, Dan Mullins, news editors, Brooke Loudner, Brooke Young, Liam Kennedy, our editor, Matt Curry, who turns these episodes around in record time to get them in your feed every morning, and our social media editor Emily Lodge thanks so much for listening we'll catch you next time listener